Welcome, 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 Housers, to a special episode of On the Way Home. I'm your host, Michael Braithwaite from Blue Door. Blue Door's organization located just north of Toronto, working in the areas of Peel, Durham, and York, helping our most vulnerable access housing, affordable housing, uh, well-paying jobs, meaningful work, and health care, and the long-term goal of preventing and ending homelessness. And that's done with over 100 people working really, really hard on the front lines to make it so. Check us out at bluedoor.ca. We do this podcast in partnership with the wonderful folks at the Canadian Alliance and Homelessness. Uh, they do so much work. Part of the work that we're going to talk about today on the podcast, we're joined by their president and CEO, Tim Richter. Uh, they do a lot of training, advocacy work, and they run a massive conference that's taking place this fall in Halifax. Check that out. Register. The lineup of speakers and presenters is incredible. Go to caeh.ca. So today we're going to talk about something just released. This is a Tuesday. This podcast will drop on a Thursday, but today uh, it was released. It is the National Housing Accord, and both uh, private and public the sectors came together. Some some of the biggest uh, minds in the sector came together and put this together as a tangible solution that they're bringing to the federal government to say, listen, we're not just coming to you with problems. We're actually coming to you with tangible solutions on how to prevent and end homelessness and house the millions of people in need of housing across this country. Um, and so it's a fascinating report. So I meet today with two of the three. Uh, um, one of the Michaels wasn't able to join us, uh, Mike Moffitt, but I meet with Michael Brooks, who's the chief executive officer at RealPAC, and of course, Tim Richter, who is the CEO at the Canadian Alliance and Homelessness. And we chat about how the heck did this all come together? How did the private public sector come together? Uh, we talk about some of the themes in the report and what they're looking for long-term um, around the need to build uh, many, many units of affordable housing across this country. And in the short term, what has to happen around income supports and benefits to make sure that no one, no Canadian goes out without a home and is able to realize the right to housing. Uh, we talk about their hopes for the future with this, what needs to happen next, the response they've got so far, um, and how people can get involved, you can get involved. It is a fascinating conversation. This is exciting. We've got a big, big challenge here, and we need big, big solutions. This is one of them, the National Housing Accord. Uh, let's go to that conversation now. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. I am so excited about this conversation today, uh, Tim and Michael. Thanks so much for joining us on the podcast on short notice. That's great to be here. Yeah, enjoy it. Awesome. Well, exciting times. We're going to talk about... Uh, something big today that was announced. Before we get to that conversation, we do have to stick to format. Or we always like to ask, first off, that is, what does home mean to you? Michael, we'll start with you, and then we'll go to Tim. Home, to me, is a place of refuge. Uh, it's a place where your family congregates, place where you create memories, place where your, place where your stuff lives. It's your base of operations for life. Mm -hmm. Love that. Tim, you know, Tim, you've had time to rehearse this because you've answered this before. And Michael, <laughs> I do have to say we've never had a place where, where your stuff lives as an answer before. So, you know, points for originality. But yes, that's uh, love what you said. Tim? Well, I, I, you know, I always answer it the same way. So maybe I'll do something a little bit different. Normally, normally my answer is the home is love. And that's... Uh, 
uh, and that remains true, but I think it's also belonging. You know, it's a place where you can be yourself and be surrounded by your family and loved ones and just relax and be. Love that answer, Tim. And, and I'll tell you from experience, when uh, it, it's far more than a roof and four walls, as you both know, but mm. why I say that too is one of the mistakes that we've made in my team and I and others, you know, in our work at Blue Door and beyond was that we put people in houses and wondered why they'd come back to emergency. And it's because we mm. didn't create the community and the love around them, right? So when you put them mm. in community and involvement in the community and belonging plays a huge piece because when they were at the emergency shelter, they certainly did belong there. They had friends and family, people, you know, the staff became family and they belong. And then they didn't feel that connection when they were out. So much more than the physical structure, of course, it's about belonging. It's about um, love. So thank you both for that. Now, let's talk about before we get into the national uh Housing Accord, the National Accord on Housing. Before we get into that, let's talk about how the heck did we get here in the first place, right? Where today we are, where every day you're reading headline after headline around housing, on affordability, poverty, uh, crisis. And you, you know, so how did things get so bad? Uh, Michael, maybe we'll start with you and then we'll go with Tim. Gee, um, how do we get into the deficits that we have now? Um, I'll steal some of Tim's lines here. 80% um, of the housing stock that we have, the apartment building housing stock we have in this country uh, is built in 1980 or earlier. It's 40, 50, 60 years old. Um, and uh, we need to be building a lot more than we have. We're in a substantial deficit position opposite demand. That demand is comprised uh, really three main segments. It's obviously uh, point system immigration, it's students, and maybe it's temporary foreign workers as well. Everybody needs a place. They come here and they're all competing for that same available apartment unit. So that's big picture what our problem is. Uh, Tim, maybe you can just deal with mm -hmm. the social housing part of it and that deficit too. <clears throat> mm -hmm. Well, and, and, you know, we have in Canada, of course, organic population growth as well, right? Like we, we added a million people last year, but we haven't built, we've only built 570,000 units of uh, apartments in the last 30 years. And, you know, Canada grew by a million people last year alone. You know, so in 30 years, our population has grown a lot more than 570,000 people or 570,000 families. So, you know, it's it's funny <clears throat> when I talk about the causes of homelessness for a long time, I really focused on the federal government getting out of building affordable housing in 1995. But the problem actually started earlier than that. And one of the aha moments that kind of led to this collaboration with RealPAC and the Place uh, Center is it comes from this recognition that you need a, a healthy rental housing system, right? It's not just about what's the, this social housing, which we need a lot of, and affordable rent geared income and supportive and near market housing, but it's the whole system. And, you know, every, three quarters of people in core housing need are living in market apartments, or if not all of them, right? Um, so we need to be 
thinking about this as an interconnected system. And I read a, a book uh, recently called Homelessness is a Housing Problem. You know, homelessness is the product of high rents, low vacancy, and a lack of affordable housing. And, and so I, I hear you both, you know, a, a lot on supply versus demand. Um, mm -hmm. But also, I think, I mean, let's talk about the reasons people do not build for uh, rental housing, right, Tim? I mean, mm -hmm. when you think about it, what I hear, when people are building housing on condos or housing, they make their mm -hmm. money up front. Rental yeah. housing, the return is. So financially, the incentives just might not be there, you think, around well, building more rental. Well, and it, it, you know, and... Uh, you know, and, and Michael can expand on this a bit, but really there are, we identified, you know, six major bottlenecks to housing development, you know, and uh, those bottlenecks really, uh, really revolve around, you know, coordination. So, you know, no one actor can ensure the housing system is functioning. You need all levels of government. You need, you know, even coordinating, you know, student housing between the the university and the city, you know, the number of students that you're going to bring in uh, ability, like there's a lack of labor and materials, viability, the financial aspect, you know, we talk about that too. And, you know, a lot of that tends to be the focus, but it's more than that productivity. You know, we build homes today the same way we did 50 years ago. You know, we need to get more productive and more innovative and permission, right? And permission is just the zoning issues and of course a lack of social housing so our report really looks at like the six bottlenecks and what does it take to undo those to get more rental housing built if i can jump in michael on on the situation in the private market um going the wrong direction so you know we had our our bank of canada interest rate hikes start around june of 2022. um you know you can get a mortgage on an apartment building, let's call it in the threes mm -hmm. at that time. Now it's in the sevens, maybe the eights. Cool. So uh, coast to coast, what I'm hearing from our members is that for a lot of their potential apartment construction projects, they don't pencil out. Mm -hmm. uh, they're just not feasible with those costs, increased cost of construction, cost of labor, insurance cost, uh, CMHC premiums now have gone up. So th there's this cascading effect of this pylon effect of increased costs. And that's one of our problems as well, is how do we get the private sector going again? What will mm -hmm. it take to make those um, infeasible projects now feasible again? Yeah. Well, and all of those things apply to nonprofit development as well. Like Michael, you would have seen this in some of the project Blue Door is doing. You know, you still have the labor challenges. You still have the zoning challenges. You still have to deal with, you know, CMHC. You still have to try and coordinate your funding between the federal, provincial, and municipal governments. Like you have all of the same challenges, except in the nonprofit sector, you're not trying to get a return of anything, but you can't charge nearly as much obviously to keep it affordable so your margins are squeezed for the same reason it's just that you know you're that when the, when michael brooks talks about margin he's talking about a profit margin when you're talking about margin you're talking about rent and how to get that rent low enough either way it, you're, you're getting squeezed 
Absolutely. We uh, we have a small house on a giant piece of land. We want to knock down that, put up 14-stack townhomes. But you rather perform on it. <laughs> I remember they came back and they said, you could do uh, one affordable. Affordable mean 80% of market rent. The rest has to be purely. And even then, you're going to have to raise a couple million dollars. And even then, you're going to... And, mm -hmm. and, you know, when Michael talks about interest rates, I mean, and, and even today, I think it was just in the Toronto Star that they said 22% um, of uh, construction new construction houses or housing has been canceled or put on hold for all those reasons michael brooks just mentioned um you know it's just not affordable uh anymore uh, moving forward and, and yeah the options aren't there but let's let's take a step back so you've mm -hmm. put together these recommendations you put together this report how the heck did it all come together how long have you been talking about this why now all right michael well um again here's where i got it credit Tim for, um, you know, his um, realization that he just explained that, you know what, you really have to work with the private sector. We need to get, we need to get a national plan. We need a plan and we have not seen a plan from any level of government that's coordinated, cohesive, involves all level of government using all the policy tools available to them. So I'm giving credit to Tim for reaching out through an intermediary that we both know well uh, to say, hey, Michael Brooks, why don't we get together and talk about this? In fact, why don't we get a session going? You bring four or five of your private sector folks who understand construction. I'll bring four or five of my you know, social agency folks. Let's get in a room, let's lock the door and let's figure out what works for both groups and what's a way forward for the country. That in a nutshell is what we ended up doing and it was amazingly successful you know why because we weren't sniping through twitter or something else at each other we're looking everybody in the eye we're very respectful and professional and we're sharing thoughts and we're sharing ideas and that was the key to unlock this construct a social enterprise by blue door provides high quality residential and commercial construction and property services in the greater toronto area more than a business with a heart, Construct is a real solution to preventing and ending homelessness. Through its eight-week paid skills trades training program, complete with wraparound supports and on-the-job work experience, Construct lifts people out of poverty and into opportunity. To hire Construct for your next project or learn more about Construct's employment program, visit constructgta.ca. Mm -hmm. Well, he's, I think Michael's being a bit too generous, but you know, <laughs> like, <laughs> but I think that, it, but it was interesting to see, you know, to to his credit, I think the you know the private sector has worn a bit of a kick me sign for a long time uh, over behavior of some market participants, right, and and sort of tarnished the whole sector. And I think we, you know, we got in the room, and when Michael and I chatted. The, you know, the idea was let's let's look for common ground. Let's see what we have in common. Let's focus on the federal government and for now, uh, and think about what a what that kind of plan uh, would be. And we had really frank conversations, and there were things that you know that we would have loved that you know we probably you know Michael would have struggled to get past his 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 uh, members and vice versa, right? So we 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 focused on what we you know, on, on creating or finding common ground. And there was way more in common than not. And what we had in common arose really fast, right? 
And I think it's, you know, it's the making of a, you know, a fairly, I think, potent partnership. Yeah, it's, it's fantastic that you, you've come together. And I think that, you know, Tim, you'd say, you know, 10 years ago, when we were talking about this. It wasn't really on the minds of all Canadians, right? We were mm-hmm. talking about housing. We were talking about people experiencing homelessness. But since it is definitely not profit, profit, it is on the minds of all Canadians and, and in many countries around the world. So it's, mm-hmm. it's so great to see this come together. Let's talk about uh, some of the policy recommendations coming out of this. Um, maybe we'll start with you, Tim, and, and mm-hmm. you, uh, you know, Michael, if you go back and forth. Uh, the Coles Notes version of what's coming out of this, of course. Well, uh, there's there's a lot in it, a lot to unpack. There's 10, 10 recommendations, but I'll, I'm going to um, uh, highlight it, just a couple of points and let and my, uh, Michael jump in. The first is thinking we need an industrial strategy, right? We need to be, you know, as, as our other colleague, uh, Mike Moffat, likes to say, it's like, there's a lot of mics in this work, by the way. I don't yeah. know why, but there is. Anyway, there's, uh, Mike Moffat uh, likes to say, you know, in Canada, we have an industrial strategy for everything or an innovation strategy for everything from lentils to aerospace, but we don't have that in housing. You know, we, we need to think about this like an industrial strategy. The second is the scale of the problem is enormous. We built 570,000 units of rental housing in the last 30 years. In order to restore affordability, we think you need at least, and I'd say at least is probably the floor, at least 2 million units. Of those, about 655,000 need to be near market or rentier income kind of affordable units, right? That's well north of a trillion dollars, right? And when you lay out those six bottlenecks I talk about, plus the scope and the cost of all of this, you can't possibly, it's, it's beyond the scope of any one government or sector. Right. So I think the, the, the other message in our recommendations weaved into that industrial strategy is let's get people in a room. You know, let's get people in a room. Let's have a conversation. Let's focus on solutions. And the solutions we came to, there's nothing new. There's nothing new. Everything we've, we've done before, right? And, and, and in varying ways, either in housing or, or out in other sectors, right? So, um, and, the, and, you know, the last thing I'd say is, you know, this is a solvable problem. You know, Moffat likes, Mike Moffat likes to say, you know, we did this on housing in the 40s when we had the veterans returning from the Second World War. We did it in the 60s when we had a wave of new immigration. And we can do it now using many of the same tools. And we know, Michael, you and I know, in brief way, we, we know that homelessness is solvable. We see homelessness going down in, in some communities with the right effort. We know that housing solves homelessness, um, you know, so let, let's get on with it. We, we know this is a solvable problem. So that Tim's covered number one of 10, <laughs> <laughs> but it's, yeah. it's, it's the most important one at the very top of the pyramid is let's get a plan for Canada. Um, some other ones on our list, and I'll just cover a couple, and then maybe Tim can take a couple after that. Um, we need a national workforce strategy. Part of the problem here is uh, we've got an aging labor force of skilled trades. They're all, they're, the retirement rate is going to accelerate in the next five to seven years. How do we replace those folks? Well, maybe we look at immigration and we start to prefer some folks with skilled trade backgrounds. 
maybe we go into the high schools and we say, hey, you know what? Being a plumber, an electrician, or a carpenter ain't so bad a life. I know several of those. I can tell you, it ain't a bad life. Um, and, um, and, and develop the workforce strategy. And part of it will be innovation as well, which I'll let maybe Tim speak to. So that's uh, a problem and an opportunity on the workforce side. Recommendation number three, tax reform. This is a federal tool. Um, and we've done this before in the past with the MERB program, which I think ended around 1986, um, maybe earlier than that, but we've done this before, um, is, is to provide some tax incentives for people to go out and build apartment buildings, mm -hmm. um, especially on the equity side of things. You know, back then it was doctors and lawyers being able to shelter their professional income by taking capital cost allowance out of new apartment buildings, but I don't care what what the mechanics are so much as uh, does it work to raise equity for the construction of that? Uh, and there's some other ideas we have. Uh, eliminating the GST on purpose-built rental is right in there with that group of tax reform for sure. Mm -hmm. And uh, maybe I'll, I'll finish for the time being, turn it back to Tim. Um, mm -hmm. Low-cost financing. We started with this, you know, seven, eight percent mortgages is just going to kill most pro formas on new construction. If we can get it back down to the uh, Mike Moffat suggestions, the 30-year the bond rate, then it's a wash for the federal government if they're the lender because, you know, it's the same as they're issuing their own bonds at. So can we get it down to the 30-year bond rate, which is in the, the high threes, I think, right now? That would be a major plus, too. Mm -hmm. Well, and a lot of these things would apply to the to the nonprofit sector as well. But I think, Michael, maybe uh, what maybe what I'll do is I'll I'll focus on some parts of this that'll be of most interest to to some of the listeners on the on the way home, and particularly those that are working in the in the homelessness world. Um, there's a few things that I I think are worth noting. One is um, this: the recommendations here lay the groundwork for ex advancing the right to housing in Canada. One by we think generating a ton of supply. It's hard to have the right to housing without housing, right? So obviously that's that's a key a, a key component. But there's a, a couple of pieces in here that are really important. One is um, one is this idea of a in recommendation seven. There's idea of a code of conduct for builders and 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 owners, and that's um, that actually was something that that Michael brought forward, and it allows us to embed. Uh, it's in, through a conversation with the private sector, I think embed some of the principles of the right to housing. I think what I thought was really striking is just how interested in the right to housing, uh, you know, Michael's members were. What is it? What does it mean? How would it apply in the in the private sector? And some of that could be developed and and embedded in in uh, a code of conduct. The other piece is the idea of a pro property acquisition program. So there are. One of our worries in the sector is this loss of existing affordable rental housing. Um, an acquisition fund, especially one that's at scale, uh, you know, could could take could buy some of these properties from you know the REITs and other owners who want to get into newer properties, right? Because some of these older ones, you know, aren't aren't great for them anymore, and I. Some of his members, you know, we're talking about a billion dollars worth of assets they'd be prepared to sell. So embedded in these, in, embedded in these um, recommendations, are are measures that would allow us to take take on some of that, uh, get get some of that into the nonprofit uh, system and create sort of perpetual 
uh, affordability and protect that over the long term. Obviously, we we talked about the need to develop a, a have a strategy and uh, have uh, have targets and timelines for the development of for ending homelessness and having the uh, plans for uh, generation of 655,000 units of, of housing. But with some of these measures in place, you know the the private sector doesn't need most of what's in the national housing strategy anymore then we can focus to concentrate the federal investment and the provincial investment in that uh, affordable um, purpose-built rental. And last, uh, one of the things that's really urgent uh, is that this is going to take time to get in place. It's going to take time to build all this housing, but people are losing their homes today, right? Every day, families are losing their housing because they can't pay the rent, right? So how do we, in the short term, protect them? And that's where we, we came back to a homelessness prevention and housing benefit so that and it's, an, it's an immediate investment that the government can use to keep families in their homes while we build the housing needed uh, to, to, to solve the problem and reforming the Canada housing benefit to better target those uh, in greatest need. I, I, I love everything you guys are saying, and I, too, I'm so glad you, you added the short-term piece. That was my next question, right? Because now, and I don't think we can, you know, you can't really have the ending this or, or the conversation without talking about incomes and, and dollars, because there's, there's listen, I, I believe uh, the former general manager of the Toronto Shelter System, Marianne Bedard, said, look, 80% of the people in the Toronto Shelter System are, are kind of one and done. They come in, they quickly move out, um, and, and they... And many are employed yep. and they can move on right but it's just a matter of income they just can't do that i see that blue door uh, in our shelter system right now we have people working full-time they simply can't afford rent uh at yep. that and they, they don't need our services they don't want to be there it's an expensive proposition for uh blue door and of course our, our government funders to keep them there um but if we have the housing we'd have more than enough emergency housing of course mm -hmm. moving forward let's talk about uh hopes for the future what, what what are your hopes coming out of this what are next steps what are hopes michael maybe we'll start with you and then we'll go to tim yeah i think that um my number one hope was that the federal government accept responsibility for this national housing file and not deflect it by saying it's a matter of provincial jurisdiction they've got some of the most powerful tools in housing it's tax it's investment it's financing through cmhc it's potentially equity investment through the banks and the pension funds they have enormous power and they have enormous influence to set us on the course and lay out this plan uh, they're gonna have to talk to the provinces for sure and maybe even the big city mayors, uh, the Federation of Canadian Municipalities to get that municipal level on side. But I think the leadership needs to start with the federal government. So I'm hopeful that we'll see some signals of that acceptance of responsibility as opposed to the deflecting responsibility and we're only gonna do this and this. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I, I'd agree with that completely. I think, you know, there's nobody that we're talking to that says, oh, God, no, we shouldn't do this, right? We talked to all parties. We talked to people across our sectors. You know, I think there's pretty 
uh, uniform support for these measures. And there's not everything, right? Uh, there's going to be things in here we can quibble about and things that need to get fleshed out. But you know, I've I've been joking in interviews today that you know the housing this the housing crisis and homelessness are the political equivalent of high school dance, right? Everybody's standing around, staring at their feet, waiting for somebody else to go first. Right. And what we're showing is, you know, you need to, you know, you need to walk across the dance floor, I guess, in, in you know, in that analogy, Michael's Michael Brooks is like John Travolta. Right. And he's going to show us how it's done. <laughs> right? This anal it, analogy has <laughs> gone too far. <laughs> but, I but really, say, Tim and I were dancing in the middle of the dance floor. Anyone under 40, just a few. I mentioned Cole's notes before. That was what we used to read to cheat. It would just give you the kind of important points yeah. in, a, in a book. And then uh, John Travolta, Dance Floor. We're talking about movies in the, in the late 70s, early 80s. Um, okay. Just as a reference point, as a reference point. But yeah. we, we understand. Uh, we, we understand the reference to it. And there certainly seems to be a lot more finger pointing mm -hmm. than action of who's going to go first. I mean, we've see, seen that on the newcomer file as well. Where uh, you know municipalities are saying it's it's a federal issue, and the feds are saying, "Hey, we give you money; you've got to deal with it." In the meantime, we had all these wonderful newcomers saying we need housing and help, right, uh, moving forward. Uh, and so, so what does success look like? You know, we, you're you're doing a great job. We're rolling this out. Um, you know, thousands or millions across the country, hopefully, are listening. What does success look like in the short term? Well, I think homelessness look success looks like an end to homelessness. We have a functioning rental market with adequate vacancy and reasonable rents, and uh, and um, enough social housing in the system that people who need it have a place to go. And we know that the market isn't going to solve all problems. We don't expect it to. I don't think Michael expects it to. So you know, making sure that you know, we're at least at the OECD average of social housing. Uh, as a relative share of overall housing system. And, you know, we get to a place where you have a functioning, healthy rental system that ends homelessness. Yeah, I would say the same thing, Michael, but uh, <clears throat> a little different. I would say it's when we get to a point where every tenant has choice at around the same price point. You know, if I can move from downtown to the suburbs uh, without having my rent doubled, uh, or tripled, you know, that's good if my job happens to move to the suburbs, uh, it's an easy move, uh, and vice versa to another city or town. So that would be the definition of equilibrium in a tenant rental market, is that tenants have choice, and a landlord knows that the tenant has choice and has to compete for that tenant's business, because otherwise the tenant will go next door to another vacant unit in another building. That would be our utopia. Um, I'm, I'm not speaking from from uh, my members' point of view of their return on investment, but they all know that, um, and we see this in the U.S. In the southern U.S. states, a lot of them are at equilibrium. In fact, in some cases, rents are going down uh, because there's adequate supply, uh, and maybe they don't have the immigration pressures that we have. But uh, that would be the that would be the definition of success. Yeah, and in that in that. Uh, system, then you you get the hallmark of the right to housing, where the customer has power, just exactly. like you know in, in most of the private market, they have they have some power in the system, and and 
that that at at its heart is what the right to housing is about. So you've been doing interviews all day long. Uh, I'm sure you're exhausted. What has the response been so far? Uh, I'll I'll jump in. It's mm -hmm. been um, I think curious is is the way that I would phrase it. Um, mm -hmm. No one uh, in the interviews that I've been in, and I think this is number three today. Um, mm -hmm has challenged anything in the report. They're very inquisitive and they want to better understand what was our thought process? What about this issue? What about that issue? Uh, and thank you gentlemen for being on the show. That's mm -hmm. been my impression so far. And that mm -hmm. makes perfect sense, right? This is just launched this morning. Mm -hmm. So they're just digesting all of this report. Yeah, and, and we've had uh, lots of conversations in advance of launching it with elected officials and officials within the government and opposition, then, um, you know, we're seeing pretty much uniform support. Uh, and, and I would say almost relief, because I think what, what I sense anyway, Michael can, can uh, contradict me if it likes, but I, what I sense in the federal government and in federal circles beyond the government is they see this problem and it's huge and it's a burning platform and Canadians are desperate for solutions, but they just don't know what to do, right? And they're getting, they're getting advice from all circles. So they don't quite know, can't quite sift it through. And, and I think what we've done is put most of it in one place you know, kind of laid a platform and a bit of a path. And I sent, I actually sense a bit of relief, like, okay, this gives me something to work with. Let's, let's see where we go from here. And I would say the same thing, Michael, <clears throat> it's a bit of a, our report is um, straw man. I don't know what, what the analogy would be there, not John Travolta, but uh, some, you know, something that you could put up and say, okay, let's, let's understand their process. Yep. It looks pretty robust. Let's understand uh, who was engaged yet. They've got basically all segments represented in terms of who was at the round table. Let's look at their results. Is it logical from the barriers they've identified and, and the people's perspectives? And I think it's a yes there. So, uh, I'm pretty comfortable. I'm very comfortable with where we've ended up. Yeah, there might be some detailed tweaks that uh, we'll have conversations about going forward. But uh, all in all, um, process makes the outcome better. And we've had good process. Mm -hmm. Well, I love, I mean, listen, you came to the table not with problems and saying someone should do something about it. You came with tangible solutions. Here's what you do about it. Government welcomes that and they'll often say, listen, we, we don't know. We're here to listen. Um, and if they listen to you, I think good things are going to happen. Let me just, uh, before we go to, let's talk about this all-star cast you brought together. I saw some of the names you brought to the table around this. Can you tell us about a few? Mm -hmm. go ahead, Tim, you, you go with your team. Well, we, we had, uh, you know, we had folks like Carolyn Witzman, you know, we had Mike Moffat, we had CHRA, CHF, we had folks from, from around, uh, around the, around the sector, uh, Mayor Nenshi, former Mayor of Calgary was, was involved and, uh, and, uh, quite a, an intriguing group of people, you know, from across the, uh, the housing world. And from my side, um, I actually chose people pretty carefully. I curated people who um, obviously have private sector experience, obviously experience in developing and owning and operating multifamily, 
but almost all of them had also not-for-profit experience in this sector. So two of those four people, one's a current board member of Toronto Community Housing, one was a former board member of Toronto Community Housing, uh, one's in Woodburn, uh, Woodburn in, in Toronto. So um, he was engaged in doing impact investing and deeply affordable projects as well. Um, Tim Blair is the same thing at Kindred Works. Um, he's been engaged in doing work with the United Church um, in developing multifamily with up to 30% affordable. Um, so 70% market, 30% deeply affordable in his projects. So remarkably thoughtful people who understand the other side of the table very well. So I think that helped um, make it a very constructive conversation. Amazing, uh, great work, great work. Listen, we have uh, listeners in this sector very much that are gonna want to support this. How can they do that? How can they go about supporting, pushing this out, uh, getting this seen and, and heard? Yeah, well, we uh, you can we've we've set up a website for it. It's uh, nationalhousingcore.ca. Um, if you send people there, you can download the report. You can also add your endorsement. It would be great for organizations to send us their their logo and endorse the endorse the paper. So you know we can show government that there's support there, uh, that that people are interested in this. We had one one developer from Toronto. I think Jennifer Kiesman said on online today, she goes, she said something about, the, you know, the GST, HST reduction would make a ton of sense and will lead to building more housing. I know because I'll build it is essentially what, you know, she <laughs> said. And that that's really powerful for governments to know that, that, that that's there. But also, you know, let your members of parliament know that there's there's solutions and there's a way for you to do that through our, through our website. Yeah, and listen, listeners, but Tim says that it is so easy. I got the email this morning. You you literally go in, you click a button, and it's fired off to your local MP um, and, and, and more. And it's so easy to do. In fact, I think so many people try to do it at first, Tim, uh, that their website shut down. Because I got yeah. a website shut down, <laughs> and then I, I kept at it. We, got a, got we had a bit of a traffic jam going on there, but we fixed it. So. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, wonderful, right? Like that's good a good problem. problem to have. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, gentlemen, thank you so much for all you do for coming together to taking the time, mm -hmm. taking the time to put this together. It's so important uh, in the lives of all Canadians, and uh, hopefully, we get some traction and we can move forward. Right on. Thanks, Michael. It's okay. Yeah. Thanks, Tim, and thanks, other Michael. All right, guys. We'll see you next time on the way home. Right on. I'm Andrea Askowitz. And I'm Allison Langer. And we are the hosts of Writing Class Radio, a podcast, but we are so much more. We have writing classes. So if you are looking for live online classes where you can join a community, write to a prompt, get feedback, and get better, check out all our classes at writingclassradio.com. And listen to our podcast wherever you get your podcasts and at writingclassradio.com. Produced by Cryer Media and distributed by the Sound Off Media Company.